Welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, a place where we ask big questions of small things as we gather around the table with makers, thinkers, and doers. So grab your favorite drink, pull up a chair, and join us. And now, here are your hosts, Caben Kramer and Chris Quant. Welcome to today's episode with Kendra Williams. I am so glad you guys are here. If this is the first episode you're listening to, or if you've listened to every single episode from season one into season two up till now, I am glad you are listening to this episode. Now, the first 15 minutes of the episode or so, we talk about Kendra's incredible uh, work with Black and Brown in the Middle, which seeks to bring out stories and art and beauty uh, from non-white sources and actually center them in the narrative. And then we spend the, the next 45 minutes or so of the podcast bobbing in and out, weaving through spirituality, racial justice, systemic oppression, white supremacy through the lens, not just of intellectual papers or anything else, but through the lens of our very personal and vulnerable relationship over the years. Kendra and I went to college together. And we were in college in a time when I didn't know, I was very much in a space that was not useful to understanding this conversation. And Kendra and I go through this entire, I mean, guys, this was just one of those conversations that we had, that I had in my life, that is going to stick with me probably for my whole life, is one of those kind of anchor points where you just kind of drop a pin and you say, oh man, because of that moment, um, these other things have happened now. And I, I don't know where my life is going to go in five or 10 or 15 years, but I know that this conversation is going to be part of it. And so if that's of interest to you, I'm excited that you're listening to this. It is absolutely an inside conversation um, where we just get very vulnerable and open about who we are as people, the places we've come from, um, the ways that I contributed to negative experiences in Kendra's life and the way that she's grown as a strong person um, in spite of all of that. And then just the amount of grace and forgiveness she extends not only to me, um, but also to just the system at large. And then the hope she offers as far as being able to move forward towards a place of positivity. I, th- this episode just really has it all. Kendra herself, she is just this incredible person. So check her out on social media. Um, black and brown in the middle. Um, look them up, participate, get involved, uh, learn and support what's going on there. Um, but again, I am glad that you are here for this conversation. Stick around for the whole conversation um, because it is a good one and it is worth listening to all the way through without any skips. And with that, let's get right into it. Kendra, this is going to be a really fun conversation. You and I, our relationship actually goes back to 2004. 2005. 2005. 2005. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very close. When we were but wee little children. (laughs) Yes, absolutely children. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't know what we didn't know about the world. But thought we knew Uh, everything. Oh man, we did. And now I think you and I both occupy very different spaces Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than we did when we first became friends, which is kind of fun, right? There was kind of that like releasing of the moors and the tethers and kind of this distance that happened. And then the journey kind of spun us around to a place where now we're like looking forward to sitting down and having a podcast conversation. Yes, very much so. I'm so excited about this. You have no idea. So you are currently the founder of Black and Brown in the Middle. Yes. Um, just tell us a little bit about what it is. And then w- how did you get to a place where you were like, this is what I need to bring into the world right now? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm going to start, I think, with how I got to this place. Um So I have been working in tech now for about 10 years. And I really thought that when I entered the corporate world that my experiences as a black woman would be very different from what I had experienced growing up and in college um, where I was in predominantly white spaces. I'm not sure why I thought 
that because I was entering into more predominantly white spaces. But I think something to do with feeling as though I had arrived into adulthood and everyone around me was also an adult, um, that we would bring a certain level of understanding about um, our differences and how to interact with each other um, as different people. And um, what I found was that, that that wasn't the case. I experienced more of the same of what I experienced when I was growing up and in college. Um, and, you know, I was pushing through, I kind of kept my head down, working really hard um, and swallowing a lot of the same experiences, the, the same kind of hurt and pain and um, uh, fear of being myself that I had always experienced. And um, last year, I actually took some time off of work, took about six months off um, to have kind of a mental, physical health break. Um, and, you know, I spent the time reconnecting with things that made me happy as a kid that was you know art music reading and writing and through that experience i started to just tell more about who i was to people around me and i had so much positive feedback from the friends that i had never really opened up to um, that i started to share um, more widely I started to record myself and put it on, on um, Instagram, put it on my stories, put it on my uh, in posts. And I was, again, getting a lot of really positive feedback. And I one day was sitting watching um, a documentary uh, on uh, Toni Morrison and I just had an epiphany. I need to create a space where people can tell their stories, where they can share uh, their experiences, their unique experiences, because I really believe that every person wants to be seen, heard, and understood. And I was healing through my own experience of doing that, but so I wanted to yeah. create a platform where other people could do it. Wow. So that's how Black and Brown in the Middle was born. Um, that's and I awesome. knew that I wanted to make it a space for Black, Brown, and Indigenous people because the feedback that I was getting from people is that, you know, as people from marginalized communities, we were spending our lives on the periphery of whiteness. And I wanted for us to jump into the middle and, and really get our chance to, you know, celebrate who we are, um, not in relation to white people. Yeah, absolutely so, right. That's, Absolutely right. That's that. So yeah, so that's amazing. Okay. And and so it's it's a few months old now. You've gotten off a little bit, right? So you started last year. How is it going? What like how's that community going? Oh no. <laughs> I only caught um how's that community going? Well then maybe that was all you needed to catch. Maybe that was a universe saying that that's what you need to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So um Oh my goodness. The universe, you it's funny you should bring the universe up because um, ever since I started talking about this concept to people around me, my community of creative people who want to be a part of this has just grown and grown and grown mm. and grown. Um, almost every day since the day that this was born i have had someone known as someone who's already in my life as, as someone who wants to be a part of this um whether it's you know uh, videographers editors um producers folks uh in music and art and just people who want to tell their stories. Um, it has been unbelievable. I have never experienced something like this. And all I can attribute it to is knowing and walking in my purpose. Oh, that's so perfect. Um, 
It's so amazing. It's so amazing. I um, have been completely overwhelmed. And the thing is, I keep trying to walk Mm. away from it because it's hard. It's hard work. And I don't know what Mm. I'm doing. Um, But the universe won't let me walk away from it. Because as soon as I voice that I don't know what I'm doing, the very thing that I need comes in the form of a new person or someone who I didn't know had that talent or skill. That's so perfect. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, and, you know, about, a, let's see, um, on February 21st, I said out loud, um, you know, I'm believing that I'm going, my team is going to come to me hmm. in a month. And three weeks later, three weeks hmm. and a day later, I was meeting with my team on our first oh, business. Oh, my call. goodness. Kendra, that is <laughs> incredible (laughs) wow yes 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 and more people are reaching out and wanting to join the team and you know i am still Hmm. terrified but i'm i'm terrified while also knowing that everything i need Uh, is coming to me and i'm learning how to receive for the first time and, and I, I think what you're tapping into, I think what you're describing is something just so potent to the human experience. And, and it's something that I've kind of experienced my own story. So I'm very probably just projecting this into your story as, as it resonates with me. But there's this idea that like the more that I tried to control the narrative to create the world that I wanted the less that I got it. And the more that I just let go and said, I don't control this chaos. I don't really understand what's happening here, but I'm going to align my purpose. Like I'm going to sync up the frequencies, right? Of like who I'm Mm -hmm. made to be Mm -hmm. and what the universe needs me to be, right? I'm just going to sync those two in line. And like, so I I started putting (laughs) my energy into a different channel. So instead of putting my energy into the channel of like, the world must be what I want it to be, this fiction that I've created in my Mm -hmm. head, now it's like mm-hmm. I must be who I am made to be and easing <laughs> yes. into that frequency yes. and that alignment of it. And then suddenly the world starts falling in order. Like uh-huh. <laughs> blows my mind. I know. I know. I I am sitting here grinning <laughs> and laughing because that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I had been trying to not just imagine but create this Mm. world that I thought I should be Mm. moving in. I was, you know, for the most part, following the blueprint that my parents had uh, drawn for me and I had accepted and I was, you know, trying to create that life that they wanted me to live. And it wasn't until I let go Mm. of that, I made a huge decision to walk away from that. And that was the first time I ever said, you know what, mom and dad, this is my life. Mm. And I'm going to go figure out what it is that I'm meant to do and who I'm meant Mm. to be. And then I was still trying to kind of create and produce and, um, and kind of just move towards something that I thought was the right thing. And, you know, it wasn't until I completely hit pause took that time off and just sat with myself and connected to the things that just by doing them brought me joy and love and just peace and contentment that everything started to fall into place like you said it's um, it's amazing. And now, you know, like you said, I'm really focusing on um, how to be love. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that is bringing so much into yeah. my life. Yeah. Like now the universe, my ancestors, yeah. whoever, they're all protecting me from the things that are mm. not love. And I'm watching, you know, relationships fall mm. away that weren't serving me. I'm watching, you know, uh, circumstances and opportunities that weren't for me Mm. fall away. And everything that is sticking Mm -hmm. to me is in alignment with my purpose. Gosh, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and what I also, incredible. you know, I, I'm hearing you talk about taking the six month pause and, and then, mm-hmm. and then you were doing very physical things, very tan things that you could touch material matter mm-hmm. substance. Mm-hmm. And it did something mm-hmm. inside and then it did something inside your soul. Right. And then you're talking about becoming love yep. and, and it's not just mm-hmm. an idea for you. Right. And this is what like, I'm, I'm, no. I'm wanting my listeners to really hear from your story is it's not this this theoretical thing of like, oh, we just need to be this idea of love. It's <laughs> it's fleshy. It's physical. Yes. It's tangible. It's material. Yes. And mm-hmm. and really, and I feel mm-hmm. that's been one of the biggest changes for me in this realignment is that the embodiment of value takes on mm-hmm. physical presence and action. And when yes. I was trying to force yes. the world, it was so much just like either theory or intellectual or something yep. in the nether, something that couldn't be anchored to like a paintbrush or a right. conversation or something that was like mm-hmm. actually existed in the world outside of myself. But the more that I just get lined up with like letting go of that control, the more I find myself moving into these very physical expressions of being that represent yeah. that are not just represent but become and teach me about these more ethereal ideas and concepts that I used to value. Yes. Yes. And I think one of the things that was hardest for me to learn was that the output or the product um wasn't the goal. Um even in those moments where I was connected with these, you know, physical um, practices, I was struggling with wanting it to become mm. something, something that I was going to share with the world, something that I was going to be able to monetize. And it wasn't until I really let it sink into, and I, I was able to sink into just the being with it and learning and the process. Mm that I really felt love, Mm. right? Mm. Like that is, that I think is, that's what love is. It's the, it's the here and now and the process. It's not where you're going. It's not what you're going to get out of it. It's not, you know, like who you're going to be later after this experience, it's the experience itself. So it's just been a huge, um, profound, a couple of years of my life, especially this past year. And, you know, really when I got into that, that space where I was able to enjoy the process, enjoy, you know, the experience, it became crystal clear to me. This is what my purpose is. And that is to bring people together, bring people to a place where they can heal hmm. and they can do that through telling their story um, because I really believe that's the most powerful thing we all have is our stories. So, so you are still in tech and, and you are still kind of, I am tell, tell us what you're doing in tech. Let me just start. How about we start there? Yeah. So I, you know, it's, I get to say this really cute thing that I work for the world's largest search engine. Oh, wink, wow. Wink. That's so, um, I have no idea who that could be. <laughs> Let me Google it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> or Bing it. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, but yeah, I um, am a program manager at a big tech company. And, um, you know, I manage a portfolio of projects and programs and that has allowed me to work in a a variety of different spaces both at this company and previous uh, companies and I have kind of settled into a a role that is in learning and development and I work with um, underrepresented groups currently um, building programs to support them in their professional mm. development. It's <laughs> Yeah, like like are are you, you conflicted know? at all about that? Like 
there's a part of me that's like, yay, I'm glad that exists. Another part of me is like, like, why does that need to exist? Like, how how bad of a mark yes. is it on us as a society that that needs to actually be a thing that we do? Yes. Um, I am definitely conflicted about it, but I am not at all surprised mm. by it because, you know, th- it's been my experience, um, you know, myself and all of the spaces that I've moved in um, that every system that you and I benefit from is rooted in white supremacy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And that means that by design, people who look like me Mm. aren't meant to be successful unless Unless, and this is where I have um, been, quote, lucky, you can fit into the mold of the token. Right. And um, and I say, quote, lucky, because it isn't truly a positive place to be. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's, it still costs something, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I really, really hate that my job has to exist. Hmm. However, the thanks that I get from my peers is overwhelming and makes it clear to me that it is necessary. And that at least at the very least my presence in the room fighting for my peers is meaningful to them yeah yeah, yeah. and that 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 actually and, and you said a line in there about you um advocating for your peers that clues into something that i was about to ask about <clears throat> because there's one way that corporations could try to put on a face of you know, some kind of effort by saying, okay, we have this, you know, program about, you know, developing underrepresented people in our company. Mm-hmm. And then all it's really doing is trying to teach those people how to tokenize mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As though that's some form of development. Um, and so, as it, you know, and so how much of your time is spent actually working with, you know, hiring managers and directors to, begin to address some of their own uh, either explicit or implicit white yep. centeredness. Yep. Um, what what does that look like? How much of it is working with the employees who are seeking promotion and recognition for mm-hmm. their pre-existing talents? And how much of it is working with the actual managers to see the world differently? Oh, I am so glad you asked this question. It is a very juicy, delicious question. And I... I'm really excited to answer it because I think it needs to be answered publicly and honestly. Um, Not nearly enough of my time is spent with my majority counterparts Hmm. um, challenging their biases and challenging their ways of thinking or their prejudices that they're bringing to, to work. Hmm. Um, most of my time is spent with my peers teaching them to quite frankly assimilate and to uh, become more palatable to our majority counterparts. Um, And that is something that I am actively fighting for. Sure, Um, I believe it. And (laughs) no one can get me to shut up about. <laughs> Which might end me up in some trouble at some point, but good trouble I will take. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. To answer your question, it's not nearly enough. Um, and you know, I have noticed, especially since uh, since the middle of last year, an increase in time spent within marginalized communities, creating spaces where not only we can commiserate with each other about the experiences that we're having, but kind of learn to, to cope and um, create uh, practical applications for um, kind of re-entry <laughs> into, mm. um, into our work environments. Yeah. Um, 
And I have asked as many people as I possibly can, what are all the white people doing while we're doing this? Where are they? Are they having these conversations about how to adjust for the diversity that we say we're bringing? Are we giving them the education to uh, address the systemic and you know systematic um, uh, you know oppressive yeah. uh, <laughs> processes and behaviors and attitudes um, that are making making the environment difficult for us mm. um, and I can't honestly get an answer yeah so <laughs> yeah um, yeah. it's not happening by me other than, you know, on one-on-one basis, on a one-on-one basis, because um, I don't know if you, you remember this about me, but I can't leave anything alone. So <laughs> I, I am, you know, in my own diplomatic, uh, friendly way, challenging on a one-on-one basis with you know, the yeah. people. Yeah. And so, I, and I just want to make sure that myself and my listeners are hearing you clearly is there an element that during the pandemic when people haven't had to be in kind of the prototypical workplace environment people who you interact with yourself and other people of color um, are almost getting a sense of like feeling a little bit more relaxed like oh I can just show up and actually do my work and I don't have to deal with as much kind of layering and complexity and buffering that I have to in the workplace but now that things are opening up you're beginning to like re-prepare yourself for kind of that all those microaggressions and all those you know kind of stacking traumas is that the conversations you guys are having that you're wondering where white people are uh, um it's actually you know as a response to each of the kind of big national or international events that take place that impact mm. you know marginalized communities so you know yeah. after you know george floyd was murdered last year this began yeah. um and yeah. then you know when the end sars campaign uh was you know at its height um yeah. we had you know more of these conversations and then you know we had an event at at work um where someone was released and there uh, may have been some uh racial uh elements or racism involved in that release and so we had another conversation and you know there have been other events yeah. in between yeah. and you know most recently with the you know violence and hate uh, that has come to light or resurfaced or become a national yeah. story um uh, you know in terms of anti-asian racism um you know yeah. more of these conversations are happening and so um, it's really more about addressing those things and preparing us to re-enter kind of our day-to-day, um, you know, mm-hmm. with those things swirling in our minds um, that I'm talking mm-hmm. about. It's not necessarily preparing to go back to work, although, you know, that's going to definitely be a culture shock. But um, this is really like with every event we have to kind of uh, address and learn to cope before we go back to work. Yeah. 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 That's, and, and I, I feel like, you know, it's just, for me, it's, it's the sense of like, just being aware of how many mm-hmm. events mm-hmm. there are and holy mm-hmm. smokes, um, man, you know, if, yeah, for me that oh. is it, kind of started back in Ferguson, but it was really kind of under the mm-hmm. covers, so to speak. Like, you know, I was, doing some work myself individually reading books and and things like that but i i don't think i had a single conversation with anyone other than myself right mm-hmm. until the daytime murder of george floyd mm-hmm. by a police mm-hmm. officer um and and so i mean i i was very much part of that huge group of people who were like wow we we should have been doing better for a lot longer um and and so, yeah, just realizing, and of course now just, there's just so many mm-hmm. events. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's both, um, I don't want even want to say positive, but, you know, it's, it, it is that, you know, all of our eyes and ears are open um, and, you know, collectively, and, but it's also so exhausting. <laughs> Um, because quite honestly, you know, I've been aware, my family's been aware, you know, my, my Asian friends and family, they've been aware my, you know, Latino and Latina friends and family, they've known and they've been aware Mm -hmm. and we've been carrying it every day of our lives. But now there's also you know, everybody collectively is having the conversation and the focus is more Mm. on fixing our communities and where it really Mm. should be on how do we dismantle these systems? 100%. Right. It's just, it's very, it's really heavy. It's really heavy to already have been carrying this right. And Mm. trying to fight it um, you know, individually or within our own communities, but now there's almost this expectation that we're going to do something or bring something new to the table. Gosh. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it's just, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And, and, you know, and it sounds to me like essentially what's happening in your workplace mm-hmm. with the creation of your job there. Mm-hmm. That was essentially an institutional answer to that individual response that you just said, right? <laughs> like, yep. oh, we recognize the system needs to change. I know what we'll do. We'll just teach people who, you know, don't do things our way how to do things our way. Like, yes. guys, that, that's, that's exactly the problem. Like, that's, no, no, no. I, I don't think you heard me the first time. Let's say it again. Let's say this for the millionth time. Like, no, no, no you are the system that needs to change. Right. And so for me, that's, I am the system that needs to change. Right. I am like, because when it comes to intersectionality, I sit on Mount Everest of privilege, Mm. right. I'm, Mm. I'm white, cisgendered, heterosexual male, uh, son of a land owner, uh, monogamous marriage, Mm -hmm. uh, two healthy children, right. There, there is no cross sectional, draw you can make in my life where I don't end on the privilege end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's, it's very personal because if I can't figure out a way to do anything about that, that's a problem, right? That's, that's a, and I, for me, I'm just saying like, I acknowledge that is a problem. I need to be in a place where I am actively making changes. Um, because I really want the whole system to change because I'm not okay with the fact like I, you know, I'm going to be really honest. I don't want to draw a bunch of cross-sectional lines and be on the underprivileged side mm-hmm. of everyone, mm-hmm. but I, there can be a lot more fairness and I can be okay in life, <laughs> right. right? There can right. be a lot more parody and I can yes. be just fine. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And smokes. I, I recognize that too. You know, I, Though, you know, I'm a black woman, um, I too have a lot of privilege, mainly from, you know, my parents buying into this idea of, you know, the American dream. And, you know, if I just go to college and get a great job and fit into these white spaces, then, you know, we're we're going to be okay. And then we're going to teach our kids to do the same. And, you know, that afforded me certain opportunities um, that many of the people who look like me didn't have. Um, And so what it has, what it has meant for me is that I have to every single day, and this is part of why I, you know, took on this role. I have to kind of step into the crossfire and I need to put myself between those who don't have the opportunities that I've had and those who have always had the opportunities that, uh, you know, I've had and build equity for them. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, wow, I... That's such a courageous role. Holy smokes. Well, you know, I would say the same to you. I, I, you know, I think that it is, it's definitely admirable that you you recognize it and you recognize that you have to do something uh, too. So, you know, and I, I applaud that, um, not because you need my applause or, you know, that that's something that you should be working towards. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, I, I, I think that's really important. And, you know, I'm sitting at work looking to a lot of the people who look like you, hoping that they'll grow into the space that you're in. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Man, it's so, oh, man. Mm. Gosh, there's so many places I want to go with this. So let, let's go, let's go one place and tell me if you don't want to go there. So earlier you were talking about, um, you know, experiences of, you know, you said quote unquote lucky, but not really lucky. Let's, let's be honest yeah. about that, mm -hmm. of kind of fitting that token role. Mm -hmm. And so let's, so back in, in college then this mm -hmm. was part of the identity. Was it at that point, was it a conscious identity for you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, listen. Our school was not hugely diverse. So there's no, that's yeah, yeah. number one. I mean, this is completely, I don't have the numbers, but from my perspective, it was essentially half white and half Asian. And yeah. um, there were, you know, a few of us in between. Um, and, you know, so, and I was thinking about this today as I was kind of mentally preparing for this conversation. Mm. Uh, I remember you know, being one of two or three mm -hmm. people in every space that I entered, mm -hmm. every yeah. class, every event, um, you know, every building, <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely was, um, often the only one. And, um, I, was palatable, you know? Hmm. Um, I had learned, I'd learned standard American English. Mm -hmm. I had unlearned Ebonics. Um, I, I did things that, you know, typically white people would do. Um, you know, I grew up playing and singing class classical music. Hmm. Um, I had taken AP classes and, you know, I was, uh, I was open to listening to all kinds of different music, um, you know, rock, alternative, pop, you know, and uh, so I was palatable. And oftentimes when you are, you become the token black yeah. person right you yeah. become yeah. the model of well this is this is possible right <laughs> we have this black person who is just like us so you know yeah why can't they call me that way and you know i often got comments from people saying things like well you know you're not especially black or mm. you know you're not that black and um and so, yeah, I mean, I really think that people, though they saw on the outside that I was physically black, they thought that I wasn't really black to my core. And so I was a little bit more um, celebrated because of that. Mm. Well, as, as someone who participated in that system and was complicit in it, in, in uh, forcing that mantle upon you, and, and honestly, knowing my own journey, I very likely um, w was one of those people saying those incredibly insensitive things. Um, and I'm sorry. That's, that's a heavy weight. And I apologize that I was part of that. That's so kind of you to say, but I, I really was digging deep into my, uh, my memory today because I was fearful that you might... <laughs> you might go there and i was thinking to myself i don't i just don't remember you being one of those people and i think um you had a unique experience growing up in that you um you know you experienced more than just you know white culture and uh it, 
and so I think, you know, that that brought a little bit of um, awareness and. Uh, okay, but I, yeah. I was 100 percent complicit, Kendra, because I didn't even know that I was white. I mean, until like I was going to leave college. that piece alone. I was going to leave so, that piece alone, Kevin. I'm 100% complicit. <laughs> Don't even try to be nice to me right now. I... Yeah, I mean, I I definitely was going to leave alone the fact that you 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 told me that you that Holy you were smokes. black on your application, but that's Holy a whole another thing. There were so many issues, and. I uh, I feel terrible that that's part of my you story. You know what? I and, think that I yeah. I think I might have called you on it in the moment when you said it. So I think I felt yeah. like we we left that. We left well, and there. and if you called me on it, I probably didn't respond to it well. Probably. But anyway, that's I I have been on a journey of my own whiteness and that's that's been something important. So, okay, but also in college, so we if we, if you want to leave that alone, we can leave it alone or we can go back to it. But I mean, we we certainly can't. We can take this wherever you want to go, Kevin. I want to go everywhere, Kendra. That's the problem. I have nothing. I, I have nothing everywhere. but time. But you have a whole family, so like, <laughs> I, I I have to be aware of that. <laughs> okay, so so also in college, uh, we were both part of a fairly conservative evangelical group of people. Yes. Uh, now I'm not sure, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I would not identify that way. From what I see in your life, I don't think you would identify that way. Is that correct? That is correct. Can you tell us some of that? Like, take us on a journey. What was that like for you? Wow. Oh, my goodness. Caben, Caben, Caben. Um, wow. We really we really went through it in college. Um, and, you know... <laughs> You, at least my perception is that you are a hell of a lot more resilient than I am um, because you at least made it on the other side, still calling yourself an evangelical <laughs> Christian. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I'm out. <laughs> um, you know, really, uh, so I made some, made some lifestyle choices um, in college that really got me some serious flack from the people that I thought loved me and understood mm. me the most. Mm. Um, and I went into my walk with Jesus looking for community, looking mm. for acceptance and looking for people to see the totality of who I am and to love me because of that, not, just in spite of it, but because of it. And um, what I found was as people were peeling back the layers of who I am or was at, at that time um, and kind of saw some of the, what they would think are the darker parts mm. of me or the mm. things that they just didn't agree with, um, the more judgment I got and the more um, scorn I got. Mm. And, um, and then there were some other kind of strange experiences that were happening around me with people that we knew that mm. and how people were responding to them. And I just, I couldn't really take it anymore. I couldn't take mm. the hypocrisy. I couldn't mm. take, yeah, the judgment and mm. the hurt that people were inflicting upon each other. Mm. Um, and I found community in places where people were doing all of the things we said we weren't supposed to do. Right. right. <laughs> Funny how that happens over and over again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, holy moly. Now I know why Jesus hung out with the people that he did. Because yes. like, hello, that is yeah. where acceptance and love is. Right. And yeah. when people yeah. are showing, you know, all of who they are and they're accepted, I think that's truly love. Um, and, you know, I, I tried kind of living the double life mm. for a while, um, you know, mostly because, you know, I was in a relationship, as you know, um, with a, a man who had grown up in the church and, mm -hmm. um, and there were a lot of expectations um, from his family, my family. We, I also, you know, grew up in and out of the church and there were some expectations, but they were a little bit more laxed in terms of what I called myself. And, 
eventually when I started to see those same behaviors in the family that I was going to be entering Mm. and joining with, um, Mm. (laughs) I, I realized, Oh, this is, this might just be a product of the church. And I, I I need to walk away. I gotta go. I gotta Mm. go. Um, so yeah, it kind of happened in two phases where, you know, in college I was, you know, I, I stepped away from the the club, but Mm -hmm. I was still, you know, trying to go to church and, you know, read my Bible and, um, but I was, you know, having a lot of fun. Um, and then a couple of years after college, I, I finally said, you know, this is just not, the church is just not the place for me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so then, so then you were kind of untethered from all that, which weighed you down. And did you, what, was there an immediate kind of magnetic draw into any other kind of either spirituality or kind of existential construct, or did you just kind of float free of everything for a while? Um, you know, there, there was, oh, there was a period where I was so intent on running away from the church that I was blind or closed off to anything spiritual Mm. um and that lasted for you know probably two or three years Mm -hmm. um and then i found myself re-entering the world of kind of advocacy and activism and Mm. um that became my like my uh, value system yeah and um as I have grown more in that, I have reconnected with, and I say reconnected because mm-hmm. um, I may not have been living in this way, but I know that my ancestors have. I've mm-hmm. reconnected with spirituality um, as a result of learning more about where I come from and Mm. learning more about you know who my people were and um so now that also comes with just being open to a lot Mm. of different things Mm -hmm. and um taking pieces from uh, you know a lot of different teachings and uh systems and doctrine and um kind of flowing with with it all um and I think that has that has been the most freeing hmm. um, way to live that I have experienced. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I love that, uh, and because it it kind of juxtaposes uh, two things for me about freedom that you've said in this conversation. Mm-hmm. One was that you found freedom when you let your world get small and you just mm-hmm. focused on the things that brought you joy, mm-hmm. and then. And then now you're saying there's freedom in letting yourself go big and yeah. <laughs> receive wisdom from so many strains. And, and it's so interesting to me because I, I really resonate with what you're saying because I identify freedom in those ways as well. And I reflect on my Christian upbringing and, and the script was flipped that, you know, I was taught that, um, there, there's only freedom if you're doing big things. If, if mm. you make your world big, if you put yourself on top of as many other selves, mm. there's freedom there. Um, but there's only freedom if you believe one very strict, narrow thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so from the ethereal side of things, freedom was found in small thinking. Yeah. And from the physical material side of things, freedom was only found with more consumption, more land ownership, more yeah. income, more resources. And as I've been in a process the last whatever it's been 15 years, undoing and reworking and reexamining and um, exploding <laughs> a lot of those things and coming to a place, um, you know, obviously different, very, very different points on the map, but similar experiences of saying like, Oh, I find so much freedom in letting my world be as small as the shovel in my hand oh, that's or the tractor I'm on yeah. or what, you know, like there's yeah. so much freedom in limitedness yeah. in that physical limitedness where I don't need to impose myself on another living thing on the planet and I can be totally free. Yeah. 
And conjoined with that, like you just said, there's so much freedom in saying wisdom and truth exist, period, in all shapes, sizes, forms, functions, and traditions. And I'm going to receive all of that. Yes. Um, without complication because it is it is good truth is good no matter what clothing wears yes 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 oh so much of what you said is completely resonating with me um getting me a little bit choked up as well but i one thing that i think that is so key to what i hear you saying is this idea of when you are content in making your world small, your mind opens mm. big and wide, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, because when you're chasing, you're chasing more material, you're chasing, you know, people to build on, a, on top of, um, your mind is consumed with that. Mm. And, you know, when you, when you boil it down to, you know, the, physical things that you have in your hand and you're content with that, right? Um, your, your mind's free. It, it, yeah. It's not consumed with all of that. So yeah. Oh my goodness. It, it, it is very clear that you and I have been on very similar <laughs> journeys and <laughs> arriving at to very similar places, which I think is also so beautiful because yeah. I think that shows that there's truth in where we've arrived yeah 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 i think so and and just so much freedom oh man so much freedom yeah i i didn't i didn't realize you know again because i didn't even know my own whiteness um i didn't realize the the weights that i was carrying Mm. um for so long um because i i had never been asked to examine it i'd never been required to examine it um and yeah but just a lot of freedom yeah. That's one. Um, one. Okay. So one, so, so if you, if you feel comfortable, yeah. Um, teach us a little bit of your spirituality uh, when like, so one thing I notice is that you'll post um, different things about, you know, your, uh, oh my gosh, where's my brain right now? Your astrology <laughs> sign or the yes. time, you know, the seasons and things like that and moving yeah. in, into those different things. So what does that mean? Like in a very embodied way? Sure what does that mean for you? How does that play into kind of your self identity and your movement in the world? Oh my goodness. So this is a, um, you know, I've always been uh, vaguely fascinated by astrology. I knew that I knew my sun sign, which is Scorpio, um, which, you know, for those who aren't familiar means that I am uh, very fearful of being emotionally vulnerable. So conversations Mm. like these are, a little bit challenging for me. Um, but I didn't know much else about astrology. And in the last, I'd say, three years, I've started to study more and study more just within myself and what that means for my ad- identity. And it hasn't been until the last year that I started to explore how it, it um, relates to other people and the world at large. Um, and so as I have been kind of unraveling this, this huge um, idea of astrology um, for myself, it has meant um, not only seeing who I am and how I think, how I feel in the placement of the stars and mm. the you know planets, um, but it has also been a channel for um, healing from past traumas. Mm-hmm. So it's helped me to identify the the things, the events that have happened that have kind of reinforced the darker parts of myself Mm. um and then given me tools to release them Mm. so um i'm very cognizant of you know the moon cycle 
And, you know, with each new moon, I am one of the ones who's, you know, setting intentions and thinking about, you know, where I was at the last new moon and Mm. um, what has changed for me or what is still weighing me down or what relationships are still um, keeping me, uh, I guess, connected or tied to things that aren't serving me anymore. Mm. Um, And I go, I do, you know, various exercises, rituals, um, to release the things that are no longer serving Mm. me, but also to really focus in on the things that I want to bring into my life or the Mm. ways that I want to grow. And, you know, I, uh, it's, it has for me brought in all of the things that we talked about, you know, all of the relationships, the new relationships that I've needed to get me to where I'm going. also relationships and people who have been a mirror for me Mm. and have called out things that I didn't see in myself, both positive and negative, um, uh, both light and dark. And, um, and it's also brought just a deep sense of understanding of who I am. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. What, like, I, I feel like, man, I feel like there's such a powerful magnet in the gift of seeing and being yourself. Yes. Yes. And and, and <laughs> once you find it, you don't want to let go. Nope. nope. Because you're like, oh, that's me. And I, I, I love me. And I really like, can, <laughs> what can I do to just be me now? In yes. The world? And yes. <laughs> And it's, you know, I, I scratch my head sometimes when, you know, when pastors will say, oh gosh, everyone's leaving the church. And I'm like, yeah, it's because you don't let anyone know themselves. Yeah. There's no, you know, and that, as you were talking about astrology, I was like, oh, this was the pathway that let you actually see yourself mm-hmm. in a loving way. Yes. Like th- this, these were the tools. This was the vessel that poured yourself into you. Yes. Yes. And and for me, the, for for me, that that vessel was uh, kind of a, an ancient tradition called shadow work, um, yes, which yeah. has crossover. Yeah. Um, and but again, the same idea. Like, man, once I could actually sit down with myself and have a conversation with the light and the dark, mm-hmm. and I could appreciate who I was in a whole sense without any dogmatic condemnation. Mm-hmm. Why would I ever go back? Right. Right. Why would any of us ever go back? <laughs> we want to be a whole self. We want to be a present soul to the now of the universe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there are, there are times when, you know, there are certain astrological, astrological events that are happening that affect me in different ways. Like, mm. you know, bring, uh, my, you know, shadow self to the forefront where I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're back again. Okay. All right. I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like this, but in those moments, and you know, it's so funny because it reminds me of when I was, you know, it, what I would call a, an evan- evangelical Christian. Um, when I would say that I really loved the valleys I really loved being down in the valleys because that's where I met myself, like Mm. in the, just the grimy, like just gnarly moments. Um, And it's true. It's true in this too, right? Where I, my, I see my shadow self. I see the the dark corners of who I am and I'm like, Mm. Oh wait, okay. You're back. Um, I don't like this. I don't like this, but I have to sit with you and I have to acknowledge and I have to honor what you are bringing to light Hmm. um and always because 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 what because what you said is so true that darkness bring things to light yes and it feels counterintuitive but it's fundamentally true it is fundamentally true yeah and 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 again in in the mutual tradition we grew up in i think the image that was given to us that was never taught to us cuz i don't think the people teaching us knew knew about it but the image in in the in the texts was the image of wilderness yep 
Yeah. And that was always, that was, that was the darkness that always brought light. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then I don't think I, I don't think I fully understood it. I had like glimpses of it, but um, now today it really rings true for me that, you know, you really have to, you have to go through the wilderness. Um, that's what brings transformation and brings you to higher heights. Um, and yeah, I don't think I would have known that. I wouldn't have known that in the, in the context of the church. Right, right, yeah. We couldn't have known it because we weren't allowed to know ourselves. No, no. I really knew, I knew some um, perfect imaginary version mm -hmm. of myself mm -hmm. <laughs> somewhere in the future that I was going to keep working towards being right. and right. not at all who I was. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I am glad you are who you are now because I love what you're bringing into the world. Likewise. Um, this Likewise. is this is great. So and I and I recognize I've already taken up an hour and 10 minutes of your time. So I want to be respectful of that. Um, so so as we kind of land the plane here, Kendra, what is something so uh, season one got uh, just about 10,000 downloads, um, a whole bunch of different people. Amazing. But again, because I'm a white male, it attracts a lot of white <laughs> people, right? So and you're doing this thing black and brown yeah. in the middle where you're really trying to center non-white yeah. voices mm -hmm. so what haven't we talked about that we need to talk about um that that people need to hear yeah i think um one of the things that's really important for me i think to get across here is that um and sorry my dog is going absolutely <laughs> insane behind me um so centering the voices, experiences, and stories of Black, Brown, and Indigenous people does not mean excluding white people. Hmm. Um, there is so much room for our, quote, allies to, to be in partnership with us and also be in support of hmm. us um and to sit beside us in this and i think that's really important to get comfortable with i think it's really important to to step aside for others because ultimately that is what we have been asked to do mm. Um, and we are still living, <laughs> we're still, yeah. you know, we're still here and yeah. we still find joy and we still find, you know, ways to connect and, and experience beautiful things. And, um, I think the, the perception or the fear is that by stepping aside that you become forgotten or you mm. become, you become less than, but I, mm. I think that there is there truly is room for all of us to shine. Yeah. Um, until we get to that point where we're all able to, you know, share the stage and shine together, mm. it is really critical for those who have, you know, historically been in the center to step aside. Yeah. Yeah. And and as you're saying that, I'm I'm listening, I'm paying attention to um the the little voice of white supremacy within myself that I'm in dialogue with mm. and seeking to dismantle. Mm -hmm. And what I'm what I'm processing within my own body is a sense of like, I wonder how much of that resistance to, you know, like what you said, if if I step aside, will I be forgotten? Will I be less than? Mm. How much does that narrative exist within me? And this isn't a question, mm. this is just rhetorical within myself. How much does the existence of that concern reflect the fact that I am systemically trying to forget yep. entire groups of yeah. people who don't look like me. I know that wasn't a question for me, but I do want to say this. I, okay. um, I just had an experience um, with one of my very best friends. Um, 
you know, I've been doing like a little bit of modeling here and there. And I've also been, you know, working with um, a, a couple of friends who are um, creatives, a photographer and a hair and makeup artist. And, you know, we've done all these shoots and um, um, one of my very best friends, who's an Asian woman, she decided she was going to do a shoot for herself. And so, you know, she bought, she purchased some time with, you know, the photographer that I've been working with and the hair and makeup artist that I've been working with. And they put on this incredible shoot. And, you know, she previewed some of the photos with me and I had this visceral reaction where of, of just jealousy and anger. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, she's gonna outshine me. She's going to share these and mm. everyone's gonna be talking about her and how mm. amazing she is and how powerful and how beautiful she is. Mm. And I didn't want to amplify that. I didn't want to celebrate her because I was fearful that I was going to get lost. Hmm. And I had to like fight myself and do it anyway. And that's hmm. when I, and I realized as soon as I was out there, you know, sharing and saying how beautiful and amazing and all of it was true that there was room, <laughs> there was room <laughs> for both of us. Yeah, and wow. she is incredible and beautiful and amazing. But so am I. Like, the, and yes. we both yes. get to be, and we both get to celebrate each other. And so I really think that, and it's because of the love that I have for myself that I'm able to recognize that. And I, hmm. so I've really been thinking about this. Like, how can white people show up? And I think it's by loving yourselves. Hmm. Really hmm. focus on loving yourselves, and there won't be room to be afraid or jealous, hmm. there won't be room because you'll just recognize that the same beauty and brilliance that lives in you lives in everyone else. And it's meant to be shared and celebrated. So that's what I would ask, beg <laughs> all of your, lis your listeners to do. And that's our show. If this conversation was meaningful to you like it was to us, leave a rating and review so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. Thank you for listening. This has been such a fun conversation and we'd love for you to join the conversation too. But hey, you've heard enough of our voices. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at ofdustanddivinity.com partner with us on Patreon and get access to exclusive content, merch, and hidden perks. Go to patreon.com slash of dust and divinity. Join our Facebook group of dust and divinity podcast community and engage with us on Instagram at of dust underscore and divinity. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Now.